It's April 12th, 2015, and you're listening to episode four of Roll Up and Die. It's in the fracking ship. The notes. Got him. Notes secured. Yes. <laughs> notes needs food badly. That was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Name that reference. I don't even know. Gauntlet Legends. Oh! <laughs> I don't know why you mentioning Gauntlet Legends made me make the guy dying from Age of Empires 2 sound, but... <laughs> oh! Well, kind of, kind of like Barker's with movies. I'm like that with video games. So oh, okay. I don't, feel that. I don't know video games. See, I'm not sure what my thing is that I'm un- unknowing about, but we'll find it. So I think the biggest information, the biggest announcement that I have for you guys and for the listeners is that we have a drinking game. Oh, do oh, did people take us up on that nice. offer last time? Uh, yes, uh, okay. one person. Oh, one one. <laughs> Thanks everybody soul. for contributing. <laughs> Barker, you're supposed to say like, oh yeah, we got 27 responses. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a drunk guy at a payphone. But... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I got an idea for your podcast. <laughs> so I, think, I think you should take a drink every time you take a drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was sent in by Carl Bolthouse uh, of tr- D20 Plus One. What a champ, man. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I feel like we definitely have to make some edits because uh, while this podcast is called Roll Up and Die. We don't want people to roll up and die. Mm-hmm. So we might have to take out a few things. <laughs> so take a drink whenever any of the following things happen. Number one, someone mentions hot and ready pizza. Yep. <laughs> take another drink if it is referred to in the plural, hot and ready's. Take a drink, everybody. No. <laughs> this is this number two is my favorite. Uh, when someone uses a phrase or word that reached peak popularity in the nineties, <laughs> for for example, <laughs> for example, bitchin, rad, dope. Oh, thank God, that's not me. <laughs> that is uh, that is definitely Barker and I being guilty yeah. of that 100%. Alex, I, I think if I ever heard you say dope, the world would explode. <laughs> please, uh, yeah, please don't. I, I'll say it just not in that context. <laughs> uh, but uh, And uh, the last part of that stipulation says, take another drink if this phrase is preceded by the word super. <laughs> super rad, super bitchin'. Oh, yeah. man, I think I say all of those things at least five times a day. No. Damn. I'm telling you, our podcasts are too long for people to play this drinking game. I know. People are going to, we're going to put people in the emergency room. So number three is someone mentions a movie and Barker admits to having never seen it. Yes. Awesome. It says if Barker has seen the movie, celebrate by taking a shot or chugging your drink. (laughs) So so it's win-win. I I see no downside. Uh, Next is uh, when Captain Gothnog references a past gaming experience in which something completely fucked up had occurred. (laughs) Someone's Uh, taking a drink tonight. Take another drink if he uses the defense of player-driven actions. 
<laughs> to explain why the thing happened. I think Carl knows us better than we know ourselves. I know. <laughs> this is so spot on. <laughs> yeah, the last two are pretty good. Um, uh, okay, so the next one is someone when someone mentions an idea for a concept and within five seconds, someone else has a fully fleshed out, awesome and an original adventure hook, setting, or idea. <laughs> I think it should be take another drink when we realize that idea is actually a movie that's already been made or a video yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly, because yeah. that happens constantly. So thank you, Carl. Thank you. Barker, will you be putting that up on your website for people to uh, print out and use to their desire? Yes, and I will say, despite the fact that this is super dope, um, uh, I think what would be even more rad is for you bitchin' listeners to be careful when you play the drinking game. Don't drink too much. Uh, and also, it's not a problem to grab a root beer or a Diet Pepsi or something and play the drinking game with that. Yeah. Just get the burps uh, because oh. we want you alive. And uh, yeah, so definitely, oh. as always, be careful. Yeah, I mean, speaking of being careful in my last game, a, uh, <laughs> they, were, they were going to try to pick a lock and uh, it, it's it's on this this really creepy uh, ship that they, uh, they found adrift and uh, for no reason, the, the the rogue just decided to take a look inside the lock, you know, just with, with a little bit of, you know, light uh, from a spell. And uh, it, it's really what saved him because the inside of the whole lock was was just crawling with rot grub. One of the, one of the classic <laughs> D&D uh, diseases that uh, I just love. Take uh, a drink. Have that drink. Because as this thing sort of burrows, it would just burrow right into his fingertips if he had tried to go in and uh, pick the lock without checking. So, Oh, man. That reminds me of the movie Prometheus. <laughs> Barker? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you guys. I was eating my hot and ready. Are you familiar with that not-so-rad movie, Prometheus? You know what? I've actually tragically seen Prometheus. All right. They got to take a shot to finish their drink. Okay, so you should all be dead at this point. So, so thank we can, you for listening. You've successfully no. rolled up and died. I, I want to make a drunk like audience a, is a happy audience. I, I want to make like a just a sound to put in the podcast that says "take a drink" every time something happens. <laughs> or just make like a little <laughs> ding, like sound effect. Like when you ever, whenever you hear that means take a drink. Might be too drunk to know when to do it. <laughs> happy Friday, gamers! Welcome to Roll Up and Die, your fairly definitive RPG podcast. My name is Barker. My name is Matt from A Fistful of Dice. And my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain Gothnog. And boy, do we have a show for you today. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about aliens, uh, specifically how to add life to your, your science fiction game. Obviously, one of the big things that you want in your sci-fi game is is usually aliens. So we want to talk a little bit about what makes for interesting aliens. Beyond, you know, a, a lot of the problems that sci-fi runs into is... You know, whether it's for budget or for just relatability, most of the races you see people running into are pretty much just humans with, you know, odd little prosthetics here and there, you know, pointed ears or <laughs> big foreheads, you know, ri- like ridges said. on their foreheads. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek was just, you know, classic for the uh, let's let's throw a prosthetic on the nose or the, or the eyebrows and call it good. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I understand, you, you know, if you're making a, you know, if you're making a TV show or movie or whatever, the, the aliens have to be somewhat relatable. Uh, I've said before that technically there could be, you know, a, 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 some sort of intelligent alien species that's sort of like, you know, a puddle of, of gelatin that communicates through generating different types of smells that that they interpret and are able to communicate but it's not really going to work well on a 
on a movie screen, you know. I think I went to college with that puddle that generate uh, generated <laughs> emotions through smells. I'm pretty sure that guy was in my college gaming group, actually. Also, I think, you know, uh, another pitfall, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of physical characteristics, Alex, that aliens mm-hmm. in movies and TV shows uh, that we run into there. Um, emotional characteristics as well. And Star Trek is the greatest at taking a philosophical stance and creating an alien race that the fighter alien race, mm-hmm. you know, the logic oriented mm-hmm. alien race, yeah. stuff like that. And so, yeah. you know, emotionally how to make them more realistic too. Science, science fiction writers have struggled with this for a while. I mean, uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. Nice. Be- yeah. Because he really tried to have the Martians be just so different from us that it you know you you really you almost couldn't understand their motivations. Uh, they just saw the universe differently than we do. And so this uh, the main character Valentine Michael Smith. He's a, a human that was born on Mars through, uh, from a failed Martian mission, and he was raised by the Martians. And a later mission found him you know grown as an adult, and so they brought him back to Earth and and. So he was, you know, a human raised by Martians, and so he was fully indoctrinated into their culture. You know, you get to see kind of humanity through his eyes, but also uh, Highland gets to kind of show, you know, show the reader, you know, his his idea of this of this alien culture, you know, through the other characters' eyes. Yeah, I think another good example of that is um, the uh, Mars series by uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the John Carter of Mars book series. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, because the the like the culture of the Tharks on Mars is just so. Like, it's hard to relate to, but, uh, like, Burroughs doesn't really make any sort of effort to relate it to us because there's nothing to relate it to. And so we're seeing this through the eyes of of John Carter, who is a a man of Earth, and he just, he doesn't really get it either, you know, when he's first there, just like, you know, I don't understand this culture at all because there's nothing that I can, you know, relate it to and... I think there's there's something to be said of just like showing an alien race as it is and not trying to necessarily make sense of it uh, from a human standpoint, you know, because it is truly alien. And that's kind of one of the goals as a dungeon master or a game master or especially in the science fiction setting is to make uh, the aliens seem alien. But at the same time, if they're so alien that they can't be related to whatsoever, mm-hmm. I think you run into another difficulty there. Exactly. Well, and that's, you know, in those books um, by by Edgar Rice Burroughs, you sort of see that, okay, like they do care about like family. And that's kind of what like the character of John Carter kind of latches onto and um, realizes that, you know, they're the, these, these creatures that at first appear very barbaric and savage and have these really kind of strange and alien ways are actually like fairly noble, loyal creatures. And so he kind of begins to, to care for them and, and fight for them. Yeah, I think that is, it's tough to present a, an alien race that is both alien and relatable. And I think that goes for science fiction as well as, you know, fantasy races. Well, I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, when we look out into the universe, we see that a lot of parts of the universe are pretty much, you know, similar to where we are. You know, the most common elements are, you know, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, all all the things that make up life on Earth. So we can kind of, you know, we can can kind of surmise that, that, that life elsewhere is probably made up of more or less the same stuff. Right. Uh, we also know that evolution is likely a universal process. So once life begins, it's going to be kind of beginning the same, you know, a similar way. And so, uh, you know, as the life evolves, it's going to follow similar patterns of 
what works and what doesn't. So, you know, for life to survive, it's in a thinking culture's best interest to look after its own. So, you know, like you said, uh, aliens caring about their children. Well, it, it makes sense, evolutionarily speaking, because, you know, a species that didn't care about their children wouldn't last very long. Right. Because yeah. they, would, they wouldn't have children anymore. So uh, any kind of socialized, you know, social culture is going to have to have certain aspects that we kind of can relate to. Right. And so uh, I think realistically, if we're looking at it from a, you know, kind of from a scientific standpoint, it's likely that there will be at least some similarities. And then from that point, it's just making, uh, you know, a few short jumps to, you know, a culture that would be different enough to feel alien, but uh, but still people would sort of get it. Yeah, be able to relate to it. Just, yeah, underst- maybe not even relate to it, but like you said, just understand what's happening. Get it. Yeah, well, in Stranger in a Strange Land, the, the, the Martians, they practiced regular cannibalism because on, on Mars, the uh, you know resources are so, so tight that they had to have absolutely zero waste. So when, when someone died, what they called it discorporated, they had, you know, kind of a ritual eating of this person to become, or, you know, this Martian, to become part of their society again you know and so for them it was a joyous time it was a you know it was something wonderful to to happen it was an honor to go through this but to most of our you know most people on earth today that would be a really kind of alien concept right and but it's also something familiar enough to us as something that is you know deplorable in our society that when we see it in a completely different light in a different society it sort of catches us off guard and, and gives us a little something to think about like well you know, when I think about it, like that kind of makes sense how they do it, you know? So what's an example of a similarity just to help me out? Because you know what? I'm not the biggest alien science fiction game person, man. Um, (laughs) So teach me what's an example of something that I could use to make my aliens a little bit more relatable to humans and like something that they would do that humans would also do. And then another thing, another example uh, of something that the aliens would do that would be just completely off the wall. Let's see, I guess as far as well, being relatable goes, again, you know, anything that's alive wants to stay alive. An intelligent species would have an, an awareness of its relationship perhaps to other species. And so it might have notions of protecting its its world from destruction, that sort of thing. And so, you know, some basic, uh, some basic concepts like that would certainly be very likely. As far as not relatable things, certainly how they would go about that how they would perceive alien life mm-hmm. uh, uh, would be interesting. A really great arth- author for uh, for that sort of thing was Douglas Adams. I mean, he really yeah. could think, he could really think outside the box when it came to imagining other species, other intelligences, other cultures, that sort of thing. And uh, one of the books revolved around this uh, this culture that had been visually cut off from the universe. They were their 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 world was in a dust cloud. And so they, they didn't had no idea there was a universe out there to even, you know, imagine if there was life in it or not. Mm. It was just you know blackness at night and gray during the day. So it was just nothing. One you know, at one point they through strange circumstances they managed to get out beyond the cloud in a, in a spaceship. And as soon as they come out of this cloud, they see the universe and overnight they became xenophobes that wanted to destroy all other life because they could they couldn't take being in a universe like that so they immediately turned all their all their resources to destroying all other life because it it was just too much for them to handle that's the goal i think is to use a trope like that evil aliens trying to destroy life and to give it some some reality behind it because We've all seen, I I think, I've seen a movie, guys. It's called Independence Day. (laughs) You know, in the end, Will Smith's character and Jeff Goldblum's character are on the alien ship, and they go into the mothership 
every single alien race in every single evil aliens are attacking movie, they all have the same freaking ships. They have the dark, misty interior. They don't need any lights. I mean, watch Oblivion. <laughs> watch Independent. Watch. Yeah, they're just in there being bred to to invade. You know, stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just really. <clears throat> where's the tavern in the mothership? I want to see that. <laughs> God, man. When do these aliens ever stand there and look at each other and be like, "Hey, guys, do we have to kill?" <laughs> well, and I, I like to. I mean, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but the whole idea of. Uh, you know, if an alien race attacks the Earth or, you know, something similar like that, they're not necessarily acting as an entire united front, you know, like there may be an offshoot of an alien race or there might be, you know, uh, members of that race that disagree with the idea of going to war. And oh. I mean, that would be more realistic. You know, how how well, often do they attack, you know, the, uh, do, do we do something like that completely unified, you know? Yeah, yeah the, the, the TV show V did that. Uh, if you right. That. Yeah. Yeah. There were there were people within their now, community. Now don't that, spoil that, anything. I don't want to use too many bleeps in this session. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This was like you know early '80s. So if, if so, people haven't seen it by now. You know. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's too late. So yeah. So but there, but there were people who part of the alien culture that that didn't like what their people were were trying to do. So they they so they sort of joined the humans trying to trying to stop them. So there was also a plot line in uh, uh, Star Trek Enterprise where there were there was this collective of alien species uh five of them i think and uh they wanted to destroy the earth they had they had reasons uh but not all of them were f- like fully on board with the plan and so they were they were sort of having internal conflicts and um trying to decide if if it was something that they needed to do or not and, th- and they actually did sort of go out of their way to have each of these species very different they had an aquatic species for example one that was insectoid uh they they w- they tried to go a little bit outside the box for for this it actually reminds me of um the halo games the idea of the of the covenant this uh you know it's not one alien race it's actually a bunch of races united under three prophets and there are sects within the covenant that have rebelled against the prophets and at a certain point in the games you know certain races serving the prophets realize hey uh the prophets are phony and uh we're going to join up with the humans and you know the enemy of the of my enemy is my friend type deal and so that's that's kind of a cool notion too that is similar to what you're talking about Alex where you know if there's different ideologies different uh different viewpoints within a race or a an organization of races you know they're not necessarily always going to get along the other thing to think about too with with aliens you know we've been kind of focusing on intelligent species uh and cultures but you also have to consider uh ecosystems and and mm. uh and so forth because you know war of the worlds was a was a, another great sci-fi novel and the the basic the basic premise of of how the the martians ended up being you know well essentially defeated was that they hadn't built up a tolerance for the bacteria the you know the bacteria the, the bacteria that we are we evolved with and yeah. so for us for us they, they're just normal bacteria but for for the martians these things were lethal they would just they just ate them away eventually and and uh they just couldn't exist on our world without being completely sealed up, you know, the whole time. Well, uh, imagine that as kind of like if, if your characters are landing on an alien planet, in- introducing them getting sick. I mean, what an excellent way to show that this place is alien. Right. You know, that well, not, this... not, not, not only diseases, but food. I mean, are you going to be mm-hmm. able to eat the food there? Yeah, is maybe. Gonna, yeah. Are, you, are you going to be able to metabolize it? Do they, do they have the same proteins, the same yeah. you know, amino acids, all these things that we just take for granted on the, Earth? The food here is made of fire. You're going to eat that? <laughs> 
everything tastes like boogers on this planet. Are you going to, how long will you survive? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, but obviously you want your characters to, to be able to go to these worlds. So you have to sort of, they're not so much things to have you not play sci-fi, but, but things you have to consider to make it feel realistic. Like you said, um, do they have to get special inoculations to go to different planets? They have to oxygen masks. Yeah. Maybe they have to wear, you know, some special filter masks or they get special, like, you know, um, maybe they have nanotechnology. So they use these special inoculations that protect them against most of these things, but maybe they only last a certain amount of time. So that can kind of build some tension as well. So maybe they have to go down, they they get to go to this planet, but this, uh, these nanites will only last for, 48 hours or something like that before they start to not work properly. So they have a certain amount, they can, they might have a time limit or they'll have a like side effects, right? Right. You can have side effects. You can have uh, all kinds of things like that. So if you want, if you, especially if you want to get across the, the idea of, of a really truly alien universe, having, you know, strange diseases, having strange, um, you know, foods, uh, strange weather, even, you know, uh, not, not all the weather is necessarily going to be like, uh, like on earth. I don't know know if you you guys, (laughs) Hey, bring up movies now. <laughs> Everybody's already drunk. Just keep talking about it. Doesn't matter. No, I have uh, not seen John Carter. Should I see John Carter? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I enjoyed the movie. It's also inspiring for for RPGs. I think too. Oh, totally, totally. It's like it's it's sword and sorcery on Mars. So you'd like it, Parker. <laughs> I was going to mention Interstellar. Yes. Uh, yeah. In 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 that one, they go to a world. Chug your beers, that- everybody. <laughs> I like that movie. Everyone's seen it. <laughs> Uh, it, you know when they when they go to that world that is in in orbit around a black hole, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. the the side the side that's facing the black hole it has it has these massive waves that just are are being pulled by this by this force not you know that um, so you have these just these these sheets of water that move around the planet. Uh, I mean that's a great example of some some kind of strange. It's not necessarily weather, but you know some sort of strange physical phenomena that would be commonplace on a world like that. And, and when uh, he yeah. says massive waves, he means like the size of mountains. Yeah, like yeah. Literally, literally huge waves. And, and, <clears throat> right, and uh, but and they're not caused by winds or anything like that. They're, just, they're literally being pulled by the by the gravitational uh, mm-hmm. forces of this black hole that the planet's in orbit around. That planet okay. with the with the frozen clouds too is a, is another uh, good example from Interstellar where they're they're mm-hmm. literally living on the frozen clouds and I mean that kind of stuff is that is, is cool. really cool really alien so even even things like life in uh, you know the upper layers of say gas giants you know uh, mm. uh, sci-fi writers have imagined you know huge uh, creatures with uh, gas pockets that are able to you know fly in these in these yeah. upper levels like there, there like could be jellyfish. there could actually be a level of oxygen say between some of the other gaseous layers you know because it would it could layer up sort of like a you know oil and oil and water that sort of thing actually i i suppose in star wars cloud city would be one such place where they have the mm-hmm. you know the, this this floating city within kind of one of those one of those layers uh, yeah i mean uh you know you mentioned the ecosystem it might be more important than the life forms like matt you said the cl- the frozen clouds in interstellar you know i mean just weird crap like that because alien doesn't mean doesn't always or only mean an alien life form it means just weird different crap and so if the clouds are frozen where you can land on them that'll do a lot to make your world seem a little more alien oh yeah and and you know scientists talked about you know worlds where there's there's like oceans of liquid methane and and Mm -hmm. uh you know it rains acid and just these these really um extreme environments that we can't you know really even you know imagine um 
are just, you know, these places exist. Um, some, a couple of my favorite, uh, places I would love to, for them to visit before I die would be Europa in orbit around Jupiter because mm-hmm. they've, they've detected an ocean below the surface and Europa is a fairly, a fairly small moon, but it, it actually has more liquid water than all of earth. And so you've got this, this incredibly deep ocean beneath the surface and I would just love for them to be able to get something below the surface and, and you know, find life under there because they found the building blocks of life. They know there's liquid water, there's heat, all the things really necessary. I mean, it'd be cool if they found, like, bacteria or something like that, but, I, you, you, you know, everyone really wants to see the giant, you know, giant whales, you know, swing by yeah. the, the camera. I, I want to <laughs> see the like space that. dolphins, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what right. do you, Every, everyone wants the space dolphin. What do you mean yeah. it's a microscopic organism you found? <laughs> That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You, you always, when people say, "Oh, they they might find life on Europa," I think everyone pictures like an underwater city filled with you know squid creatures <laughs> who are going about their daily lives. And but in reality, we're we're gonna find bacteria in the ocean, and I think that is equally as as cool. We're gonna find some fracking Cylons. We're gonna find some Cylons. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I, you know, and uh, another another cool idea uh, that I recently used in a. A Spelljammer game, actually, which uh, mm-hmm. my my Spelljammer game is definitely more like spacey sci-fi than space fantasy. Mm-hmm. But um, I had a planet that was uh, orbiting so close, uh, or it had such a tight orbit that all of the seasons happened in about a week on this on this planet, and so all of this freezing and and thawing constantly had eroded the planet down like much quicker. Uh, than normal and so this planet was kind of dying almost and uh, there was like one city left on this planet on this like f- completely flat eroded planet that would and they were just like oh, we're just kind of scraping out a living until the planet you know descends into the sun pretty much <laughs> because the seasons are just happening so quick and it's just oh it's just a, a harsh life you know you get winter every Tuesday and you know then it, everything thaws and you know you can't grow anything on the planet because of that so but I mean just simple changes like that not you mm-hmm. know it's a pretty big overhaul but you take something that we know on earth you know oh the season change and you just say well what if all of that happened in about a week instead of a year you know hmm. yeah uh, there, there's a, awesome. a, a great example of something like that was in uh, uh, pitch black the, chug your beers <laughs> <laughs> you know for a certain period every 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 so many uh, so many years you know, the planet was in total darkness when, yeah. when all, when I think they were with the two or three suns, but they, they were all blocked out at one time. And so it was a, a rare event. There was one species that thrived during that darkness. And so having species that have those sort of life cycles too, where they only, they only show themselves every, you know, so many centuries even. Somebody posted a question on our page that says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on some of the life forms that are said to exist in the far reaches of the inner planes. What are some examples of real, some really strange life forms you guys have encountered out there? Like us personally? Yeah, I think that he's asking us personally. Yeah, I've seen some pretty weird shit, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> personally, I, I lo- when, I, when I play sci-fi, I like to have... I definitely lean more towards the science. I like to have, uh, I like to have science, you know, in my sci-fi. But you know, you can only have so much to, you know, before players, you know, their eyes are gonna kind of glaze over. You know, you could have, you could have reams of paper describing <laughs> the <laughs> ecosystem of your planet and explaining you know, it's, the, it's, the it's diet. orbital path and <laughs> explaining the diet of this certain jellyfish with wings. <laughs> Be like, all right, yeah. guys, this is about forty pages long, so uh, I need uh, you to read it for the backstory, yeah. though. Yeah, and these could, jellyfish could you, eat booger food, so could yeah. you read that for next week? <laughs> <laughs> Be ready. I mean, I, I you know, as a, as a 
as a GM, I kind of like to have some stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's even more important for st- for for it to sort of feel real. And I think that's that's kind of the the balance you want to achieve. You want to you can you can look to science for to kind of get you started. But once once you kind of get past a certain point, then you can then you can play around and because because it's sort of rooted in in science, it it will it will start to feel real to them. Uh, it will kind of make sense. You know, if you just make an alien that's just you know we just kind of reached into a bag and started pulling out different aspects of it and shapes and colors and you know it, it's it's not going to feel real to them but if you have an alien that sees a certain spectrum of light because you know because of their the color of their star and they have uh, a certain biological feature that allows them to um, to breathe a certain type of air you know all these things will will help to immerse your players you know in the game yeah and i think i think that's you know that is true of just any genre you're playing things that are are grounded in some sort of reality are going to be much more tangible and and real to your players and so when you introduce those alien aspects or those those horror aspects or those fantasy aspects, they hit a little harder because they are grounded in that reality. So, um, and I think using uh, science as a base when you're doing, um, you know, science fiction is a good way of doing that. I always have an issue with that, um, just because you know I, I I like to think of myself as a fairly intelligent, educated person. But there are a couple people in my game group that if I were to try to implement a lot of hard sci-fi, they would just <laughs> call me on it. They'd be like, uh, "Actually, black holes don't really work like that," and I'd be like, oh. "Well, shit," you know. Um, so I'm I'm hesitant to do that. Yeah. So like, what 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 do you guys? What would you do about that if you had? people in your group that would that know more about that kind of stuff than you do never play with anyone smarter than you <laughs> you're out of the I game would never, i would never i would never play a game you're too smart <laughs> i'd have to quit the hobby get yeah. out of here get no yeah I, um this is going to be the fallback kind of cop-out answer but the, there would have to be that pre-game uh conversation like yeah. guys i am not a nuclear physicist so when your characters raid this nuclear silo, because uh, we're playing Spycraft, I need you to not tell me that nukes don't work that way. <laughs> I already know they don't work that way. But you know what? Rules lawyering is one thing, but reality lawyering is not <laughs> acceptable at my table. Yeah, I and I would I would say that, you know, it can be... It can be easily shut down. You know, they say, oh, actually, it doesn't work like that. And you just say, oh, it does today, man. But, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, I wonder why it works like that. Ooh. <laughs> and then you. But, <laughs> you know, you want you want them to be immersed as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think, honestly, I think that is why uh, science fiction RPGs are not as prevalent mm-hmm. as fantasy RPGs. Because not everybody's a scientist. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I think that fantasy is a little bit more accessible for that, but I think it's a shame that yeah. you know sci-fi is less prevalent than than fantasy. It's definitely easier in a fantasy game to just say magic, and uh, yeah. <laughs> it works. It's easier. You know? It's easier to hand wave. I mean, if yeah. it's Star Wars, yeah, you yeah. can just say uh, the Force, but you know. <laughs> well, you know what? I found it easier to say technology than I have to say hmm. just just say magic because for some reason my players. Uh, believe that more Mm. like I feel like a nerd with a laptop in his sci-fi setting is far more dangerous than a level five wizard with all of his spells (laughs) that's fair shutting down mainframes (laughs) hacking into computers updating his Facebook (laughs) I you know as long as you uh, as long as you do computers better than you know the 
the NCIS uh, hackers, I think, <laughs> oh, I think are good. Yeah, you don't have to run faster than the bear. Okay, that's yeah. right. Okay, that's right. Well, honestly, though, if I have if I have a player at my table that I know knows a lot about a subject, then I'm going to use that because then I then I don't have to necessarily explain things. You know, because I I like to give my players a lot of um, play you know a lot of agency, so they can sort of kind of create the world around them as well. So you know, just just go ahead and describe things. So uh, let's say let's say I decide to put planet around a black hole in this. You know, someone at the table who knows just is an astrophysics nerd. I'll I'll let him explain it. You know, and just say you know, okay, you know, just describe what you see, and then they can sort of describe it to their satisfaction, and it works. You know, um, totally. Uh, s- totally. Same thing. Same thing with uh, you know, strange life forms. You know, uh, just give just give them enough where it feels real, and then the, and then sort of let them you know kind of explain it out um, because. They're part of the creative process as well. So if you know some, if you know some of the table has the knowledge, then then use it. You, either you can either use it before the game, saying, "Hey, look, I'm putting together this uh, this adventure. Uh, can you uh, give me some information about X? You know, whatever that happens to be." And then they can, you know, you can kind of work it in there, and so they can feel good because they contributed to it, and uh, you know, they're going to be a lot less likely to kind of you know nitpicky it apart. So if you don't know a lot about the science. Feel free to let your players jump in. But if you do know a lot about the science, uh, don't shut your players down if they don't. You know, the, yeah. the idea today, Matt, you posted a video, fun trumps story, trumps rules. And mm-hmm. especially in sci-fi, I have to agree. Like, oh, absolutely. make sure that fun is being had. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's definitely true. And I think if the if the players are having fun and if they're if they have a sense of, you know, uh, adventure and grandiose and epicness or whatever you're trying to convey to them, uh, I think they're going to be uh, less apt to call you on, on yeah. things like that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Well, and, and as a GM and as a GM, if I'm doing sci fi, you know, I, I, I personally have, uh, you know, a higher standard for myself. So what I'll what I'll do is I will do the research when I'm making the adventure. Like I, I actually created a, a system where you know the black hole was was the uh, was at the center of it. So I started doing research. You know, this was actually this is actually before Interstellar. You know, trying to find out okay is 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 having a star system around a black hole feasible? You know, if so, what would it look like? You know, what would be the conditions involved? That sort of thing. And so I didn't become an expert at it, but I certainly looked up enough. Where I could make a plausible solar system, and uh, with with any kind of world building, one of the things I always recommend to people is go look at like children's encyclopedias. Those things are awesome for for creating things like that. Oh yeah, like you, uh, you, yeah, kids, little kids' knowledge books. Yeah, yeah, because uh, they, they they teach it in really simple, you know, plain English about weather, about uh, you know, geology, tectonics, the you know, solar systems, all these things, and it's done in a way that is un, you know, it's enough detail. For most for most people, yeah, I'm actually gonna plug a uh, a subreddit here, the Explain It Like I'm Five subreddit. Um, <laughs> you can you can put any topic out there, and someone who knows more about it than you do will come and explain it to you in terms that a, a five year old could understand. So you could be like the super collider. I have no idea what it does. Explain it like I'm five, and someone will come in and be like, "Well, <laughs> Billy, here's what the super collider does," you know. And uh, I like found... the birds and the bees discussion, but exactly, about physics. Exactly. I've actually found it to be immensely helpful for. For, for lots of things but um yeah like you're saying alex like that like you know stuff intended for children it's not just for children it is no. easily digestible kind of surface level stuff where it's it gives you just enough so that you can use it um 
I was I actually used a, a wonderful website called I think it was called like Grease for Kids or something like that to build my Eschia campaign world, which is kind of an ancient Greek style campaign. And it was like, here's all the different people that were around in ancient Greece. And, you know, here, you know, kind of, oh, that up kind of quotes. Greece. I thought he yeah, meant the John yeah. Travolta movie. Sorry. No, uh, yeah. Greece for kids. Here's what happens in the movie Greece. So you don't have it's to watch basically it. Basically, yeah. it's all about sex. Explain it like I'm five. What happened? Yeah, no, but um, no, uh, stuff like that is, is, is immensely helpful. And it gives you just enough so that you can come off as like you know a little bit more. So you can impress your friends with a glass of wine. Exactly. <laughs> you'll be you'll be a hit at parties. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you want to make it just plausible enough to make sense. And getting back to the uh, kind of drifting from life forms, but it, the same with it's the same with biology. You know, there's 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 actually a lot of um, a lot of good books out there that talk about if if there's alien life out there, what would it be like? I think there was also some Discovery Channel programs that they did that sort of explored the idea of what alien life could look like on a different world. You know, kind of just stretching the bounds of, of what we think of when we think of, of life. Looking up resources like that can, can be really useful. And just understanding the, the basic process of life and, and, uh, and again, you know, referring to, uh, uh, to kids' books, but, uh, you know, how evolution works, how... Uh, how basic biology functions, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And then there's there's shows like uh, Cosmos and how the universe oh, works, yeah. and and I mean those are those are awesome because they yep. they blow your mind while also making you go, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I can't recommend Cosmos enough. I mean, it's just it's one of the oh, one of the most amaz- amazing shows. Yeah. Carl Sagan. Both, billions actually. and billions and billions and billions and billions. Cosmos drinking game. You take a drink every time Carl Sagan says the word billions. I'll tell you what. I think uh, part two of this of this episode should be Barker just saying billions <laughs> and, and billions <laughs> and billions. Uh, so do you guys want to take a question from the viewership? I think we should. I think we should. I have a good one. You're going to hate it, Alex. All right. You ready for this? Because you got to answer it first. Oh, oh, I do. Okay, hold on. Yep. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> okay, right. so. I'm ready. Ben B. asks, how do you apply aliens to a classic RPG setting, such as in a standard D&D campaign? <laughs> Thank you for asking, yeah. Ben. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting ideas for new and cool aliens. Um, hmm. What do you think, Alex? Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you're your players are going to be okay with something like that because Dungeons and Dragons actually came out with a, an adventure module uh, way back when uh, in the uh, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Called, I, know, uh, I know what you're talking uh, me about. Me too. Yeah. It was basically the, play, the, the PCs uh, uh, find a buried alien spacecraft and, and they, they, they essentially go through exploring it. Uh, oh, the name just jumped out of my head. What the hell was it called? Uh, Barrier Peaks? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Quest for the... Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Expedition, yeah, Expedition yeah, to it. the Barrier Peaks, yep. Yep. And and so uh, I actually reused that recently, uh, only I did it with a... Uh, uh, ran it as a Western. And, uh, oh, you know, with, nice. with, with these, uh, these, uh, these two uh, uh, outlaws who were basically fleeing from, the, fleeing from the law, and they, and they stumble upon this alien spaceship. But anyway... So make sure that, you know, it's cool with your players. Because some of them, you're yeah, right, yeah. some of them might want that fantasy... Uh, medieval-esque, you know, type of game. Yeah, if if you throw in aliens, that they they it can go really well or really badly. They might they might just it can just take them out of it entirely. You need to sort of make sure that they're going to be okay with with that idea, and that's hard because you want to surprise them with it. You don't want to. Yeah, um, that's true. 
you know, so you, you, you really have to know, that's really, you really want to know your players. You don't want to hit them with that in like your first, you know, few sessions <laughs> coming with, with a new group, you know. I have another buddy, Alex, that's actually in my home group. He, in his world, that his homebrew setting, he, he has the mind flares as extraterrestrials. Oh, mm-hmm. neat. And it, it actually, you know what, it, it really worked. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it like perfect alien to do it with, I think. And it kind of yeah. inspired me to do the same thing with the Githyanki, kind of That's being neat. alien, but not, and, and I would say this is my answer to Ben's question. They're not from space. Okay. They're extra planar. Yeah. They're yeah. coming from their own fantasy setting to yours, but you can still have that same invasion plot line right you know, yeah. well and that's i mean the you know creatures like the githyanki and the and the mind flayers you know are, are creatures of the of the astral plane which when you get right down to it is kind of the the space between planes it's kind of like yeah. outer space yeah. and Hy- so hyperspace it's exactly and so it's it's really easy to kind of um use that in that fashion so i think that's really smart well it depends how subtle you want to be with it like you could have it have an you know you could introduce a new race that is just so different from the others that you know the players might suspect that they're aliens right um but you don't have you don't have to be overt about it they don't necessarily have to have a lot of you know advanced technology or anything like that but if you got it's really if you got to be bringing in the technology the you know the full the full alien <laughs> you know package that you're going to want to make sure that 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 they're going to be ready for it well if they're okay with it though then that could open up a whole new uh, a whole new idea of you know where the campaign could go at that point. Um, I, I I find it uh, personally though I find it very difficult to put together a a setting like that because unless unless magic is isolated to this to to your world, um, I, have a, I have a hard time imagining a species like developing a lot of this advanced technology and and having access to magic. You know because it seems like yeah. Uh, they wouldn't. It just, it, it just. They wouldn't need to develop all this other stuff if they can just conjure spells. You know, why do we need? Why do we need to figure out anti gravity when when I can just you know cast levitate? You know, it's just not. It wouldn't be necessary. You know, technology right. evolves out of necessity. So if it's not necessary, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. You know, if you have a setting where magic is not as common or accessible, you might have. Um, you know, certain cultures or organizations using technology in place of magic or utilizing magic that is similar to technology. Like, you know, I can't cast spells, but I'm going to have these wizards design a, you know, a gravity generator for my spell jammer ship, you know, and, uh, you know, use that. And so I think that you can get away with doing things like that, even in a, a magical setting. But you're right, Alex, like a lot of a lot of it can just be like, well, why didn't they just cast a spell to do this? Or why didn't they just hire a wizard to do this? And um, so it is kind of it is kind of tough. But yeah, I, I would draw inspiration from the uh, uh, the Star Wars old expanded universe novels about the Yuzhan Vong invasion. Oh, yeah, because you know, the Jedi have the force, which is, you know, this right. mystical thing. And the Yuzhan Vong are uh, outside of it completely. Right. So, and that's actually a downside for the Jedi because they can't feel them. So right. it's a whole new battle that they have to fight for that. And I think that, you know, I'm one of the one of the people that thinks that they did that pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not, I liked I'm the not books. Gonna, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> 
No, you have oh. to get into it, Matt. Really? No, you go, I will, come uh, on. Here's what here's I will say on that subject, Barker. I am really glad that the Yuzhan Vong are not canon anymore. Hell yes. Okay, cool. All right. You know, I'm, I, yeah. The yeah the the new expanded universe. I've already started reading the books. I'm really excited about it. I need I need to get on it, man. I got I I'm I'm not gonna get fall behind it. like I did last time. <laughs> it's hard not to when there's like a hundred books. How many books I gotta books. read? Four, 4,800? I think there are, <laughs> there are already 12 out, so get the hell on it. Hey, <laughs> well, actually, it is a good point about Star Wars, though, because the Force is is very much like magic. So um, I suppose if you uh, if you had you know magic operate within that context and then not everyone could use it, um, then, 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 then it could theoretically work. Um, but I think it, the more the more of this stuff you're going to add to it, though, it, you're, you're basically going to be changing the setting enough where it's not going to be D and D anymore. And I think, and I think he was talking about like vanilla D and D, just you know. Yeah. And so you, you definitely want to check with your your players, and uh, it's not something that you know that I would do. Well, okay, I I actually have used this before, um, and it was it was in an older setting of mine, and the idea was that there was this large uh, metal sphere in the far north, and like the races had been vying for years to try to get it open. And the dwarves controlled it? And the dwarves controlled it. All right! Cool. Just... Have I, wait, have I talked about this before? No, in a YouTube video. Oh. Sorry. Oh! This was your was campaign crafting. It was a little, a about... little series called Campaign Crafting. Yeah, 15 years ago. <laughs> 15 years ago. Um, but anyway, the idea was that they couldn't get this thing open, and everyone thought it was the source of magic. Um, because any wizard who had gone up to study it was like, this thing is just humming with magic mm-hmm. like i can't i'm getting a headache looking at this thing basically but uh the idea was that this was a something that had fallen to earth from from space and it wasn't an alien it was a it was a god trapped inside of it um that was basically fueling the planet with with magic but you can you can do things like that you can you can inject a little sci-fi into your fantasy campaign and i think it can only make it better if you do it sparingly and if you do it smartly you know if you if you're just like oh uh you guys have laser guns it's like oh well like a great example is the um (laughs) so i like i love i love paizo they're a wonderful company but their their campaign setting of galarian is just gonzo man it is just chainsaws it is off the rails they have laser guns and chainsaw swords right now and i just cannot i can't get down with it man because it's like they can they can say well it's confined to one region and it's like you're you're telling me nobody's walked out of this region with one of these chainsaw swords no they there's you've, you've opened up a can it's, of worms it's, that point. region is surrounded by electric fences <laughs> and on the top there's no barbed wire it's just more chainsaws so oh, are you gonna shoot. climb that shit <laughs> just just constantly running chainsaws along the top of the fence no but that is that is a great example of going too far with um with science fiction elements. i think newman era did it pretty well yeah i would agree with that um yeah. do you guys want to make uh create an idea that our listeners can steal I want to make an idea, but I don't want anyone to steal it. Too bad. Uh, damn it. Good try. That's, not, that's nice not try. What we do. I, you know, I tried to stake a claim for my intellectual property, but uh, in, in the yep. end of these episodes, it says, you know, if you use, uh, you know, you are you are free to use anything that we talk about. 
in this episode, as long as you give credit with, to with credit. Roll Up and Die. So you can use this for your gaming group, but before you do, be like, hey guys, uh, this next plot hook brought to you by Roll Up and Die, your definitive you, RPG podcast. You can say, you can say uh, some jackasses on the internet came up with this idea, <laughs> and so we're using it. <laughs> I didn't have any prep time, so the, the Black Boot Tavern is what you got. <laughs> Uh, what do you guys want to do? Create an alien race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that would make sense, keeping in with the uh, the theme. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's make an alien race. I thought we were gonna talk about uh, tax preparation in a fantasy setting. Sorry, weird. <laughs> That's uh, part two, Barker. I was gonna say that, that, that that'll that'll be episode three hundred and forty eight when we start running dry. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Now we're gonna talk I, about. I would say that uh, you know tax preparation is a useful tool for any dungeon master, and uh, you know it's something you can throw at your players that's gonna be completely unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Alex, you kick it off. All right. So uh, we want an al- we want an intelligent species that the uh, that the PCs can relate to. And let's go to an, an aquatic species. Because that, that that that's 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 always interesting. Okay. Um, so uh, so yeah, you have an aquatic species that has um, uh, that's existed below the surface uh, of a, a sheet of ice for you know uh, for their entire existence. Nice. And only right. recently have they begun to sort of uh, to sort of explore and see what's beyond the ice. And so they have these bubbles that are. Um, uh, they, they'd be kind of like our equivalent of like deep sea, deep sea bells and things like that that we that we send down to the you know, the very bottom of the ocean. But these are these are on the surface of the ice, and uh, uh, they're they're pressurized to hold their you know the water pressure that they need at at their um, their depth. And they're beginning to sort of uh, to sort of explore the universe now because they've uh, they've never even seen the stars before. They've uh, they've been below this because uh, the ice is so thick. It's literally uh, there's literally no light. So they actually uh, see entirely in the uh, in in the infrared spectrum uh, because they would have no access to visual light. So uh, the, the visual the visual part of the spectrum that we see would be completely unavailable to them. But the heat from the uh, the core of the planet that heats the water to keep it liquid is what they see. And, and um, their world is basically a, it's a moon around a gas giant, so uh, very similar to Europa. Uh, but but it's uh, but it's it's larger. Uh, both uh, the, the gas giant and the, and this thing are larger. In fact, the moon is probably about you know eighty percent the size of Earth. So uh, between the pressure and density, it's it's uh, it's probably close to Earth normal gravity on the surface. And pass it to Matt. Oh, man. Wow, Alex, okay. that was you really took that. Yeah, Matt, what are you going to add to that? He told uh, you the size of the planet. Uh, they eat boogers. They eat boogers. <laughs> oh, God. The secret is they're fracking Cylons. <laughs> if, if there's it's one. In the fracking ice. <laughs> If there's one thing I've learned from this podcast, it's I need to play in a Captain Gothnog sci-fi game. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, okay, so I think that since the light is so uh, gone, and and cr- please stop me if you, Alex, if you've already answered this, uh, <laughs> if you've already created this this part. Oh, I'm uh, still creating right now in, in my in my, I, in my, I know. In my back of my mind right now. Uh, I'm there's... always creating, Barker. Always. <laughs> So let's say because there's no light uh, underneath the ice because the ice is so thick that they move around and, and kind of detect their surroundings in the same way that a bat might. But instead of using sound, they use kind of the movement of the water around them. So it works mm. kind of like sound waves, but instead, you know, uh, it's a literal motion of water, literal waves. Yeah. 
So yeah, so sonar, basically just a kind of uh, a kind of uh, a kind of sonar. Did you already say that? No. Oh, sorry. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So, so not, that that would that would make a lot of sense. That would also be the way they would, com- you know, they they communicate that way too, much like you know whales and dolphins, you know, with just high. They they would have high pitched high pitched voices that because that travels over uh, uh, for for local communication. Then they would have deeper, you know, frequencies for long distances. You're, you're taking away Matt's choices here. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Watch. sorry, Matt's no, like, I got, oh, I got, I got this great idea worry. about high frequencies. Damn it, Damn it Alex! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do, I do have something though. I was gonna say that there is a large creature in the water with them that is frozen in ice and has been for as long as they can remember. It's this, this, this massive leviathan, and they actually worship and revere this thing, and um, the they will make uh, pilgrimages to this thing's frozen resting place uh, to touch the ice and um, nice and and worship it and uh, maybe maybe the journey to the surface is somehow religiously driven like it's some some great journey some great crusade to get um, you know to at to the surface of the planet and uh, I'm gonna add one one more thing the ice is melting <gasps> nice oh! dun 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 you know if i laugh until i start coughing that it's really good take a drink (laughs) yeah take a a drink barker chokes on his own laughter take a drink that's messed up What if I like choked to death mean. and you can no longer hear me because I'm oh. dying and everyone? Well, that's and two, that's like, two drinks. Oh, yes, yeah, two drinks. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you chug your beer. Here's to Barker. <laughs> and then go get another one, and then and then call nine one one. Yeah, in in that order. <laughs> in that order. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Again, happy Friday, gamers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Roll Up and Die. My name is Barker. My name is Matt. And my name is Alex. And Godspeed, blah. Godspeed. Blah. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rad, 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 bitchin', bitchin', bitchin'. dope, dope, gnarly. A league of their own. <laughs> is, I love that movie. Chug <laughs> your beer. This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming.